Good morning. I'm Father Spencer. I'm one of the co-rectors here at the table. Today I have the pleasure of proclaiming good news as one not above or over you, but as one from amongst you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Church, today we proclaim the good news that Jesus is revealing to us that the divine's action in the particulars of life is a means for inclusion, not exclusion. You don't have to posture for what you need or protect everything that you've got. There is more than enough. You were made for mutuality. Be free from the lie of independence and competition. Ask for what you need and give freely today. In our Old Testament story, we have an interesting juxtaposition of the relationships of David and Saul and the relationship of David and Jonathan. David is getting all kinds of accolades and is becoming well-known for having slayed Goliath. And Saul's reaction is to say, hey, who is this guy? And he tells, he tells David, you're not going to go home anymore. You're going to come and live here at the king's house. You're going to be a part of my household. And as I was reflecting on this passage this week, it occurred to me that if anybody had a right to feel threatened by David's presence, it would have been Jonathan's. Jonathan was a peer of David's. And so he could have seen David as a threat somebody that was also vying for his father's attention or affection, uh, or maybe somebody that was going to get in the way of his birthright as the next king. But Jonathan didn't look at David with jealousy or with contemptuous eyes. Instead, he loved David. He moved towards David and made a covenant with him and shared everything that he had with David. Ironically, it was Saul, who's already the king, who looked at David as a threat to what he already had. What comes to mind when you think of that story? What, what do you see in the world around us today that sounds familiar to that? Personally, I couldn't help but think about our continued learning as a church about supremacy cultures and how any existence of the other without othering it or excluding it is seen as a threat. One of the most recent examples I can think of this, and it's Pop culture, so it's a great illustration for the church service, is the Barbie film. There is one trans actor in that movie. And I've heard so many people that are upset that this is a trans pop, this is a, uh, this is a film that's basically meant to get a trans agenda or a queer agenda across because of the existence of one trans actor amongst many cisgendered folks. This is a microcosm of how this culture works this impulse to protect everything that we've got, to see anybody that's different from us as a threat, is supremacy culture. And I think we see a picture of that in Saul. Saul is threatened about losing what he already has. He can't see the forest for the trees. Another area that I see this in my own life, which is a little bit smaller, is just in my field of work. I work in real estate, so sales. Uh, and people often in my field they don't think about much other than what is directly in front of them. They're trying to figure out the quickest way to get to their next paycheck. And so they chase down what's right in front of their nose. They try to make as much money as they can. And there's no time spent thinking or reflecting about the wake that we produce as we go through on this path of real estate, right? And real estate is an industry that has its hands dirty with all kinds of injustice in our culture, whether it be gentrification or redlining or blockbusting. But if you're only chasing what's right in front of you in pursuit of getting yours, there's no time 
for paying attention to the effects of that outside of what you have coming to you. And to get even smaller in my examples, we went for a walk as a family yesterday. My wife and I were walking and the kids insisted on being on their bikes, which if you've ever done this, is always a difficult thing. It's much easier just to all be on bikes or all be on foot. But when the kids are on bikes, they're always going way too far in front, around corners, even though they know they shouldn't. Right, Cam? <laughs> but Cameron and Remy were so focused on who was going to be in front of the other on the sidewalk that we just kept running into issues. One would get too close to the curb right when a car was passing. One would go a little bit past the end of the sidewalk into the intersection. And so finally, we said, hey, look, nobody's in trouble. We're not mad, but we are dropping our bikes off at the Crawford's house, and we're going to walk the rest of this time. Because you are so focused, you're so preoccupied with being at one tire length in front of your sibling that you can't just enjoy. Like, we are not in a race out here. We are just out for a walk. So where do you notice in yourself this need to posture or position yourself to get what you need, to fight for the goodness of God in your own life? where you find yourself familiar with the impulse to protect what you already have. We come by it honestly. A lot of us have been told explicitly or implicitly that this is actually how the world works. And so, being formed into it, we carry these assumptions about the world with us into Scripture. We read our psalm from today where it says that God chose the tribe of Judah, built her temple in a specific place, chose David, chose a specific and particular people. And we can read that divine action in the particulars as limiting, as exclusionary. And that reading comes naturally to us, and it also leads to a supersessionist reading of Scripture. Now, supersessionism is, may sound like a complicated term. It basically means that we, when we read the Bible, just insert ourselves in the place of Israel. We sub them out, these particular people, and we say, we're the new Israel. We're God's people. And it's an erasure of race or specificity when it suits us. We erase difference so that we can insert ourselves in and center ourselves in the story of Scripture. We've been formed into this Highlander view of reality. There can only be one. But church, this is no way to live. And it actually runs completely counter to the arc of God's story in Scripture, in all of Scripture, but also in our Scriptures from today. So our psalm talks about God choosing Judah, building the temple, choosing David, a particular people, place, and person. But then in Romans, in Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul retraces the arc of God's story. Jesus is the one who's been promised through the prophets, born of the line of David, made known in the incarnation and resurrection, in the specificity of that place and time, and through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring into obedience of faith all the Gentiles for the sake of his name. So you see the arc, the trajectory of Scripture, of God's story is entering into reality, into creation, through specific people, places, and times. Not at the exclusion of others, but as a vehicle, as an entry point into the inclusion of all things and the restoration of all things. Jesus in John says, If anyone thirsts, woman or man, come to me and drink. They who believe in me from their belly shall flow rivers of living water. 
Now, at the end of our gospel passage today, some in the crowd are stuck on where Jesus is from. The, the Messiah does not come from Galilee. And as they argue back and forth, it becomes a means for division or disruption. It kind of becomes a block that prevents them from drinking of this living water. Focused on that particularity as a means for exclusion instead of for inclusion prevents them from accepting the goodness of God that's right in front of them. Church, where we are tempted to believe that it takes pedigree or posturing to get what we need or that we have to protect everything that we have, Jesus is revealing today that the divine's presence in the particulars is a means of inclusion. If anyone thirsts, come to Jesus and drink deeply. There is more than enough. In our John passage, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from their belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive. What do you think of when you hear this passage, living waters flowing from your belly? I come from a charismatic background, so I think about speaking in tongues, and that being living waters. As I reflect on my own story, though, there are these high, high points, these revival moments, but this was a living water that I did thirst again for this experience. It wasn't something that sustained me in all parts of my life. So I think Jesus is talking about more than that. Jesus came to save us. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit and rivers of living water. But Jesus came to show us how to really live, like in the real world. You don't have to fight for the goodness that God has for you. So what is this living water it's a way of life. It's mutuality, connection, and presence. This is kingdom living. Jesus is calling us out of competition and isolation and into mutuality with one another, into kingdom living. There's a lot more to be said about mutuality. We talk about it a lot as a church, and I don't have enough space right now to get into all of it, but I want to talk about what mutuality is a little bit. It's not absorbing each other's anxiety. Or to anybody that's a Tom Wamsgams fan from Succession, it's not using each other as pain sponges. It's not intuiting each other's feelings and wants and needs. It's committing to connection that includes naming what we want and what we need to each other so that we can discern together reality and so that we can walk together into what God has for us. A few of us down in Bates Hendricks had a, a chat via text this week and uh, I, one of the things that came up was just sharing that codependency is hell actually masquerading itself as heaven. Differentiation is essential for true mutuality. And I think that this is actually tied up in this good news today about the divine's presence in the particulars of life. God is present and at work in your desires. So noticing and naming desires, not just following them or running away from what you desire, that is essential to your discipleship. It's essential to you being a part of the community, to showing up. But as we grow in our awareness of God's work, the work that's going on in our internal, isolated worlds, we have to learn to name those desires, to notice it and name it to our community. And as a part of sharing those desires together, not necessarily just trusting them, not naturally just distrusting them, but just owning them together in community, 
Through that, we are being drawn deeper into God's work in the world around us. So as we drink deeply of this kingdom life, rivers of living water begin to flow out of us. And church, this is the great flood of creation. The creator is reconciling and reordering all of creation into mutuality as it was originally intended to be. There is more than enough. A flood of living water. So church, what if this is actually good, good news today? What if this is actually true? What does it practically mean for how we live? Where do you notice that as you're hearing this good news, you feel that you're not sure if there is enough? There's not enough hours in the day. Or maybe at this specific moment, you don't have enough faith or patience. Not enough support or friendship. Maybe you feel low on love. Notice and name those things. I want to invite you to respond to this good news today by holding those things in your heart as you come to the table. I also want to invite you to share those with somebody. However you discern is appropriate. You don't have to publicly put it on Facebook or share it in the group me, but find somebody that you can confide in and own where you're really at. There are no assigned seats around the table of the Lord. You are free from posturing. You're free from performing. You are free to come, bringing those things with you. But also, what about physical needs? Not just our emotional, internal needs. You can bring these to the community as well. To your friends and family, to the church. We have a benevolence fund here, and we we really try to meet concrete needs through that benevolence fund. And so if there is a need, please talk to one of us. There's a way of doing that on the website. But we want to meet those needs, those concrete, real-world needs. And then there's also needs that are too big for the community. And what are we supposed to do with those? Living waters flowing out of our bellies together in community also includes pursuing reform and justice together. And that's something that we are still kind of building our muscle memory about as a, as a predominantly white church. What does it mean to pursue justice? To not just be content with our internal peace in our quiet world, but also looking at the world around us and seeing needs that are too big for me to meet. Inner peace is not the end game, but living waters flooding the whole of creation, restoring things into mutuality, not just between me and one other person, but all of creation being reconciled. Brothers and sisters, God is meeting you in the not enough today. You don't have to posture. You don't have to pretend. Bring all of you today. Your longings, your discontents, your hopelessness. Bring it with you to the table and be fed. There is more than enough. Ask for what you need and give of yourself freely today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.